Our first 10-minute speaker is Mayur. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Mayur. I'm an alcoholic. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I've never been to the Atlantic group, but uh, the second speaker meeting I ever went to, there was a, an Atlantic group speaker with an eye patch at the old French door church. And I, I was floored by his qualification and, uh, and I took my first, uh, I took first and only one I've taken, except for a friend from the one once, but a 24 hour point. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I feel like I owe this group a, a lot. Um, so, um, I, uh, I got sober the first day that I didn't have a drink was August 1st, 2011. Um, I met my first speaker at that first meeting that I walked into that first meeting was a meditation meeting in Williamsburg. That room became the main room where I went to all my meetings for a long time before that room moved. Um, yeah, AA has without a doubt saved my life. I am on what I hope is, is a long, slow recovery. Um, I like that as much as I also don't like that. Um, I, you know, my nature, maybe it's human nature is to get impatient and wish that things were going a lot faster, but things are awfully nice. Um, and not just nice, but, um, I was about to say the word manageable, but my sponsor tells me about step one, that it's not that our lives ever become manageable, but that we let or invite God in to, to be the manager, right? To, like, to, to lay out the next right action, the next right thing. So, you know, uh, a little bit about my drinking. Uh, I come from an alcoholic family, but uh, my folks were not that. Um, there were uh, immigrants who came to the States in the 60s and early 70s. My mom came. I'm born and raised in North Jersey. We were the first brown folks in my hometown. You know, I think we all feel different one way or the other, regardless. I know plenty of people who are the first brown folks in their hometown, and they do not uh, identify as alcoholics. Um, I kept obsessive logs of life starting in about sixth grade, where I would analyze the best ways to deal with uh, hallway interactions. I uh, am a relatively likable fellow, did well in school, played sports pretty well. And so I did pretty good at getting people to like me, uh, and it, which felt very important, you know, at the time. And I think also as a kid, I was very, very interested in the concept of God. I very much wanted to know God. And I think in retrospect, um, I thought that if I kind of perfected the art of being a human, then I wouldn't have to feel pain. I think that I was very afraid of feeling pain. We drank the first time when we were all 15. Uh, it was after soccer practice in the summer, and uh, I convinced like 10 hammered 15-year-old boys that we needed Dunkin' Donuts. So we went walking through my hometown, and we all got picked up by the cops, and my folks came last um, because we love drama. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, – it was the, – there, there, there's my mom's tears and the sorrow and the – you know. And I just was like – you know, and she was like, you're going to end up like your uncle's. And I just thought, okay, well, maybe this is too much of a hassle and I'm going to stay away from booze. And I would go to parties and I'd just get real hopped up on caffeine and 
stay away from booze. And I did that until I was 20 at a nice liberal arts college in Massachusetts. And I, uh, you know, I, it started with weed. I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this stuff, but you know, uh, and then it was mushrooms. And at first I really felt that I found God. I found a shortcut to a connection to the crystalline structure of the universe on that first psychedelic experience. And I chased that a lot through my, through everything that I ever took and through a lot of drinks. Um, I, on that first trip, I felt that I should go back to school and continue my pre-med studies. Went back to school, signed up for the next round of those classes, decided it was about time I started drinking. He immediately stopped being pre-med. Um, you know, it's just that, that first weekend I drank, I woke up on a bench and I had a bottle of water in my hand. I thought, okay, well, that was pretty intense. Let me try not to do that again. And the next weekend I did it the same way again. And I just knew that I had the thing that my mom was afraid that I had, you know, but I also knew that I had unlocked, uh, some sort of beast mode version of myself who I had always been hoping was in there, but, uh, I found him and I wanted him and, uh, you know, and so I just tried to manage it and I managed it for 12 years, but there were a lot of, uh, a lot of bad nights. Um, you know, the threefold disease, I, uh, I, I feel it. Um, I had the allergy. I never knew when I started, when I would stop, I had the mental obsession. It immediately became the most important thing in my life. I changed, I started by changing my major, that I changed what I wanted to do after school, just everything changed, you know, immediately. And, you know, the psychic change of the company that like I was, the, I was in beast mode constantly. Um, and you know, the spiritual sickness I became more and more aware of, but I wasn't really aware of it exactly until that last drunk, which was a whimper. And I'll get there. I'll just round this out quickly. I'll say that there were bottoms along the way that was driving out to San Francisco with the ex from college. She came back East for grad school. I cheated on her in a bourbon fueled, um, ego party. I don't know. And told her about it. And she broke up with me, understandably. And I shaved my head and my beard and I moved back across the country and eventually won her back, which was a disaster and continued for another bunch of years. Um, you know, when she finally threw me out, um, but you know, the, the moving back to Jersey was a bottom before that after college, I was working in kitchens in Portland, Maine, and I got arrested for driving drunk. I went to Cumberland County jail for two days. And, um, and you know, it just, and every time I'd hit one of these bottoms, I would try and hold it together and I would not drink the way I used to for maybe a month or so. And I'd have just a beer or two a night. And then just one night it would just open up again. And maybe the first night it was okay. And I had a good time and I'd just go back to it. And it wasn't a matter of choice. So what I heard the last straw for me was when that relationship finally ended, I moved in with my best friend since sixth grade. He was one of us and he never made it here. Um, He's our valedictorian. He took heroin for the first time and it stopped his heart. And I put him to bed that night. We were roommates and uh, I found him in the morning and the next six months were, I hope my last bottom regarding drinking. Um, it was no longer did I believe that there was a party. I just knew it was just me drinking. Uh, I did start a new line of work. I began to be a carpenter at that point, which is still what I do. I was recently during this pandemic, I've been talking to some old buddies from college, you know, and, uh, I told them like, these are the best nine years of my life. Uh, 
maybe since I was a kid, but even those were pretty dysfunctional. It's a, it's, it's a good life. That psychedelic trip that I was looking for, I am on and in a real way. Um, my friend passed away. I started dating someone new. Her parents were in the program. They were a beautiful example. They were some Irish Catholic maniacs from way uptown, and I related to them and their friends a lot. Um, I didn't understand why they were happy, but they really were, and I liked that. And, um, you know, I tried to go see a friend's band play at 7 o'clock at a bar in Greenpoint I used to go to. I was up at 7 a.m. hammered and doing drugs and miss work that day. And work was my one of my dearest friends teaching me carpentry, and I had keys to the job site. And he was so disappointed. I tried not to drink that weekend. I drank that weekend. Uh, my girlfriend said, don't leave me and do drugs. I left her and did drugs. Um, and I woke up that Sunday, and I just knew for the first time that I did not know how to fix this thing. I had done the same thing for 12 years. I just, that's all I knew. I called some old friends. I said, I was thinking about going to a meeting. They all thought that was a good idea. And I made it to that first meeting. I tried not to. I called one of those friends again. I was like, I don't think I need to go. And he said, what do you got to lose by going? You know, and all I thought was you go to a meeting. I don't know what you happened, what I thought happened after that, but this world opened up. I, I always tell the story that like the guy in front of me was a couple months sober and he shared that his wife had thrown him out and he was crashing on his friend's couch. He's a wonderful guy. He, but at that time he was so, he was so tweaked out. He's just like, he's a junkie. There's cockroaches everywhere. I got to sleep with the lights up. And I was like, Oh my God, this year is so dark. This might be my new life, you know? And I, you know, like I said, like the God stuff, what I wanted to bring it back to was like in that room, I was like, right. I have stopped trying to have a spiritual experience i've just been incredibly selfish and uh the lights went on and that dude stood up and he made the literature announcement and i was like oh that's cool um i met my first sponsor at that meeting and one of the first things i remember him telling me was like here we have a chance to be useful again you know and i think that that was another thing that i had noticed was extraordinarily lacking from my life um the other brilliant thing he told me was, um, it's about time for me to say goodbye. So I'll just say, he told me to figure it out. It's not a slogan. And um, uh, I don't know what is going on in life. My girlfriend drove up here from Atlanta and moved in right before quarantine. It's going pretty well. Probably moving to Atlanta because my work has dried up here. Um, I don't know. It's all okay. I just know that with the help of this program, the folks I've met who are on the spiritual journey, having a sponsor, having sponsees, going to meetings, doing service, I am having a spiritual experience of a life and I haven't had to take a drink a day at a time. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mayor. Our second 10-minute speaker is Kristen. Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. And hey, um, hi, so this is my first time sharing at a Zoom meeting outside of the more informal ones that I've been doing with some sober women, but um, it's all kind of I'll acclimate as best I can. I realize why stand-up comics don't like to do Zoom because you don't get to hear people laugh at your jokes. So, um, Mayor, I was laughing, not to cross-talk, but just so you know. <laughs> um, but anyhow, um, I've been sober since October 7th, 2006, and uh, my sponsor is Carla Rao in the Pacific Group. Or, yeah, she still attends some Pacific Group, but many know her from that group. Um, and uh, she's been my sponsor since day one of my current sobriety, and I'm I'm absolutely grateful for her and uh, for how she trained my feet in this program when I didn't know where to go next. Um, 
I'll make my confession right out of the gate since quarantine. My husband is also sober, and he and I have really struggled to acclimate to Zoom meetings. So uh, most of our meeting attendance has been um, when he forces me to listen to him read from As Bill Sees It. For some reason, I get really annoyed. Uh, but I appreciate his commitment to our recovery um, and, uh, and, and my own reading of the daily reflections. So I think that um, it's been really hard for us to feel connected into our AA community. And um, we moved about a year ago, and we live about an hour and a half outside of Los Angeles, where both of us got sober. Um, even though I've been sober in New York as well. Um, but we, uh, and so I think we've, and we have two young children. So already, um, you know, our AA attendance has been sort of scattered um, over the last year and, and this certainly hasn't helped. So we're looking forward to getting back into in-person meetings at some point. We live in a really small town where that might happen sooner than elsewhere. Um, like in LA County where I know it's gonna be a challenge. That all said, um, it's great to be here and it's great to have the opportunity to share and um, and to remind myself of my own story and uh, what happened and how I got here and what, what all that looks like. So um, I definitely uh, felt different growing up. Um, my father was actually in prison for most of my life. He was a marijuana smuggler back in the 1970s and he was arrested uh, in 1981 or two, um, once Reagan came into power and, and tried to squash the uh, illegal trade. Um, and so uh, he was sent to prison and I was told to lie about it. And I was actually thinking about it yesterday that um, I think for me, a lot of recovery has been, you know, reclaiming my truth out of shame and secrecy, which is really how I grew up was this sort of main component of my life. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. Um, I, for at one point, I, I think the story was he was in the army, which is kind of ridiculous because then people thought we were like a veteran family and we weren't at all. Um, we were a former kingpin family. Um, and uh, But I got really good at lying, like by the age of six, you know, um, and also getting people to feel like oddly compassionate for me, but all for the wrong reasons. And I remember taking my first shot of Dimatap when I think I was in third grade, um, which had a little bit of booze in it and it tasted like grape flavor. It basically was a setup for like, I think it was like, what do we call it? Purple passion in high school. So it was basically the same thing, but in a child dose. And I would, um, you know, take a few swigs off of that and uh, lay on the floor and watch Young and the Restless during the summer and realized whatever the feeling I was having was just absolutely awesome. Um, my first real drink took place when I was 14. I grew up in Dallas, but I came out to California, actually visit a friend. And um, that first night that I got wasted, I, I say it was basically the template for the rest of my years of drinking and that all the boys loved me and all the girls hated me. And by the end of the night, I had always wanted to be like naturally good at something. I wanted to be one of those kids that just sat down at a piano and like banged out Mozart in two weeks. And if I couldn't do that, I immediately quit. I was the kid who had like 16,000 hobbies and they all lasted around 20 days. And then I was out of there once I realized I wasn't a virtuoso. But when I had my first drink, I found out what I was naturally good at in life. And, um, you know, I was, they called me the machine that night because I was able to take down so much vodka. And I just, I knew, I knew that that was my destiny. Um, you know, my father had been an alcoholic and a drug addict and my uncle was the same. And so it definitely was in the blood system. But 
Um, I think it was Gabor Mate who said that, um, you know, genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. And so I just, uh, I had that perfect storm of both. And um, throughout high school, um, you know, I also similarly, you know, I, I would drink so much that it would scare me. So then I quit and, you know, I just like chain smoked Marlboro red cigarettes and ate cookie dough and um, I was really good at school, but I struggled to actually get work done. It's no different than my life. I'm like writing a book in three days right now. I'm a ghostwriter, and I'm so, it's like, <laughs> like I always put myself in these crazy timelines where if I can like turn up the adrenaline super high, um, you know, it's like little free laps. But um, I was I was the same way in high school, and um, went on to a small liberal arts college in upstate New York. Um, which was the great and safe space to explore my alcoholism. You know, I was in a really like loving environment of people who cared about me. And if I, you know, wound up in the wrong places, they would usually cart me home. Um, and then I, you know, moved on and, and partied in New York city for many years after college. And, uh, and then I decided to move to LA and, um, my slight drug reference, cause I was convinced there was no cocaine in Los Angeles. <laughs> I thought I would just, you know, smoke pot and do yoga. And um, within the first few weeks, um, I say my kitchen in Los Angeles looked like a bowling alley because I was really into the Frisione, um, or what I called Frexinac champagne at the time. And um, so I was drinking so many bottles and I had them all stacked up in the kitchen. So it just looked like a bunch of like black bowling pins every morning. And um, I was about 25 at that time. And I remember the first time thinking like, I might have a drinking problem, you know? And, uh, and I never really hit, you know, when you're young and everybody else is drinking next to you, it's so easy for it to feel disguised. Um, and over the next few years that, uh, that feeling got really confirmed. And, um, like a lot of people, I remember there's a quote in the big book that says, you know, when you lose the one thing you love more than drinking and still can't give it up, that's a bottom. And um, for me, that was a relationship. I could not give up the drinking for it. And I went to a therapist because at that point, everybody in my life was tired of hearing about him. But what I realized is that if you paid therapists, they had to listen to you. So it was kind of like a mental prostitute. I would just hand over the cash and I could chat, chat, chat about him. And at the end of our first session, this therapist wisely said she wouldn't see me again unless I went to a 12-step meeting. And she offered me C-A-N-A or A-A and told me I had to go to one meeting in each and come back and tell her which one that I thought was the best fit. So I came in through the doors of C-A um, and I struggled. I would go to my meeting on Friday night and then on the way home, I would stop at Trader Joe's and get a couple bottles of Two Buck Chuck. And, um, and then I would get really high and read um, my friend's portions of the big book, which most people do not like at four o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, listen to this part, it sounds just like us. They'd be like, oh God, Kristen, <laughs> just pick, pick already. Um, and I ended up picking and I moved home to Dallas and I got sober and um, I had 18 months and I'm, and I have two minutes or three minutes maybe to wrap it up here um, to get through the next 15 years of life. But um, but I, uh, I ended up getting about 18 months at that time. I got a really big fancy job in New York. It was really stressful. I went back to that early, you know, that early trick of lying. That's how I got out of not getting into trouble at the job. Um, and I say, you know, I basically started working those steps in reverse. You know, I didn't I wasn't taking the spiritual principles out into the world. I wasn't admitting where I was doing wrong. 
um, I stopped having any kind of contact with the higher power and I made my way all back all the way back to step one where I didn't believe that I that my life had become unmanageable that I was powerless over drugs and alcohol and um, I started drinking again and um, I'm really grateful I had a sponsor during that time that didn't stop calling me when I was out. And um, it's what I always remember and have tried to do as a sponsor. And she didn't call to like have a big lecture. She just called to check in. Sometimes she called just to chat about a guy she met. She just called to like, you know, shoot the shit. Sometimes she'd ask how I was doing in a special way, but really she just treated me like a friend. And so three weeks in, she was my lifeline and the hand was still, you know, reached out to me. And I told her, you know, I. I don't think this works. And she reminded me that AA did not shut down in my absence. And um, I went back to meetings and that was um, over 13 years ago. And um, over the last 13 years, I've had so many different relationships with this program, all of which are based in love. Um, I've gone to meetings all over the world. I've been to meetings in parking garages in Mumbai, India. I've been to meetings um, all over Europe and uh, Greece and France and Ireland and and where what I've discovered is wherever I am in the world AA is always my home um, it is the one thing I rely on and can count on and uh, and one when all else feels lost um, the principles of this uh, the principles and the people of this program always bring me back and um, I want to thank Deborah who asked me to speak today and reminded me this morning of uh, when she was moving from LA how me and a bunch of other girls showed up to, to help her pack and how it was probably nothing to me at the time, but it meant everything to her. And I said, you know, the thing is the same thing had happened to me. I also was in a really bad situation and had to move from Dallas back to LA. And it was right before my relapse and all these women from the program showed up and, you know, it was one of those like 24 hour packing jobs where like nobody goes to sleep and you're just shoving stuff into the trunk of your car until the last minute when you tear off into the night. And so, um, you know, but, six sober women showed up and, and did it for me and, and helped me to, you know, launch a new life. And, um, and that's what we do. You know, we show up when no one else does. And, uh, that's what I've learned how to do in AA. And, um, you know, today we have this really big, beautiful, magical life. Uh, my husband and I, he just celebrated 17 years himself. And we have two little babies who, um, and I'll end with this. I remember once hearing a speaker say that, um, if you turned over everything, in his house at the bottom of it, it would say property of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that goes for his children and the same go for mine. Um, there's nothing in my life today that I don't have that isn't because of AA and everything that I learned from you guys and everything that you've shared with me and that um, I try, even if it's rather scattered to, to share back. So um, I'm absolutely grateful to be sober today and I thank you all. And, um, and certainly during these weird and strange pandemic times, we're all trapped inside. Um, I know one thing, a drink would never make it better. So thank you for teaching me that.